and start bringing flare guns and fireworks at you. We're trying to start. <laughs> All right. Revelation chapter 1. These first three verses are the most important. They're probably the most skipped, most blown by, but the most important if you're going to understand uh, what what the book is, is ultimately about. So a little bit of uh, recapping to see if we've uh, remembered things, which I know probably not's been two weeks and we've had a lot of information in between uh, with our great lectureship. So we're going to have to kind of do a... Uh, a reminder of things. So notice it begins in Revelation 1, 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Okay. Okay. It's a revealing. Other words, give, come on, bring your thesaurus. What, what, what other words for this? What would this? An explanation. Yeah. <laughs> Apocalypse. It is that word. It is apocalypse. Of course, unfortunately, in our minds, apocalypse takes us a whole nother direction of what we think about versus what apocalypse means. Uh, an unveiling. So uh, we have a revealing, an unveiling, an explaining. So, I mean, right out of the gate, how many times does the book of Revelation people tell you it's coded, it's secret, it's hidden, it's, it's all of these things, which is the uh, absolute opposite of what the first word of the book says. Uh, which is that this is an unveiling. An unveiling of what? Okay, there's something that must be concealed that has to be unveiled. They, okay, where is he? Things that must soon take place. It's, a, it's revealing that. Is there anything in scriptural history that was hidden that needed to now still be Explained, unveiled, revealed. Daniel 12 is an important connect point. You're going to see as we go through the book of Revelation over these many moons uh, that there are significant touch points to the book of Revelation. In particular, Revelation 12, I'm sorry, Daniel 12, verse 4, and Daniel 12, verse 9, which we looked at two weeks ago. Both of them, you have Daniel not understanding the vision and the angel tells Daniel to seal up this vision, seal the things in the prophecy until the time of the end. That is a very big, important point to zero in, circle, highlight, underline is that Daniel 12 concludes with a message that the things that are in it are hidden and concealed and sealed up in the scroll until the time of the end. And we noted last time, remember, that you have in Revelation 5 a visual of that. You have a scroll that is sealed that cannot be opened by anybody to such a degree that John weeps because we cannot find out what is in the scroll until the lion and the lamb of Judah comes and opens that scroll. So we have a sealed document sitting in Daniel waiting for its time to be opened. So Revelation already has that touch point. It's already reaching and saying, I'm unveiling something that was concealed. There's a revealing that's happening uh, at, at that point. You'll notice also in verse 1, which God gave him to show his servants. And I highlighted this, this showing. Uh, and in fact, this goes to um, 
Where is it? Why don't I see it? Uh, okay, verse, uh, question four in your work, workbook. There it is down there. I asked the question about, does the revelation being signified through an angel affect the way that we interpret the book? And you say, why do you use the word signified? What, what, what are we talking about here? Well, I noted uh, in, in, our, in our study two weeks ago that you'll see the word you have show in verse one, saw in verse two, that you are seeing these things. One of the things that's particularly interesting is that in, in verse one, it says in the ESV, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant made, you know, most translations read, uh, made, made it known or made known or communicated or something like that. And that is, uh, what that word means, but that word is often connected to making it known through symbols. Um, the American Standard, New King James, the Old Holman Christian Standard Bible, not the New Christian Standard Bible, but the Old Holman Christian Standard Bible, uh, all rendered that word as signified. Now, the reason I want to give you that connect point of made it known is if you want to write in your notes or in your Bibles, Daniel chapter 2 and verse 45 is an important connect point. Daniel 2 and verse 45, at the end of Nebuchadnezzar seeing his visions... Remember, he's got those, the vision of the statue. Daniel comes in and gives explanation, and he ends the vision by saying to Nebuchadnezzar that he has made this known to you, O king. All right, well, how did God make it known to Nebuchadnezzar? With symbols, with a vision. That's, the, that's a dream that he has. And so that is a connect point that you're seeing here is that what John is seeing is, is visions, symbols, images, pictures. You're, you're not going to be surprised when you get into the book and you start reading about dragons and beasts and, and locusts and all kinds of things are going on there. And these are all pictures. In fact, Phil in our lectureship made a really good point about that. He said, nobody gets all excited about the Chick-fil-A sign. You're excited about what the sign represents, that there's a restaurant there for your chicken. Nobody goes, oh, great, a sign. You care about what the sign means. And that's what's happening in the book of Revelation. These things are being put into pictures and signs. And you're not supposed to get stuck on, Ooh, a beast, ooh, a dragon, what does it represent? What does it mean? Or what is it telling you to do? Just as much as a stop sign, nobody goes, ooh, neat, eight, eight sides. Wow, that's red. And eight. What does it mean? That's the whole idea of, of getting at that. And so this, these first three verses really set that forward of saying, this is what John saw. This is what was shown to him. This was made known to him or signified to him, made known through pictures and signs. Now, here's the thing I want to put on as a, as a little bit of a caveat with this. Sometimes what happens is people who come to the book of Revelation and we go, yeah, we think it's signs and symbols because it says so. Um, well, we want to have a literal interpretation of the Bible. And so I do not accept your symbolic take on, on the book of Revelation. One thing I think it's really important with that, just because something 
is revealed in pictures and symbols and signs does not mean that there is not a literal, actual, physical reality. Sometimes that gets confused. Well, you're just saying it's all symbolic. No, I'm not saying the book is symbolic. Remember, we put forward that whole idealist point of view, just kind of all, you know, flowing and doesn't really mean anything in particular. No, just because something has a sign doesn't mean it doesn't have a reality. In fact, the Chick-fil-A sign means there's a reality. You would be very confused if you saw the Chick-fil-A sign pulled up underneath it and it was an empty parking lot. You'd be like, that's supposed to mean something actual, physical, and literal. <laughs> you know, Signs does not mean there's not something tangible to it. Signs are indicating that tangible thing. And God is always talking that way. Book of Ezekiel, book of Daniel, book of Zechariah, Matthew 24. God likes to use pictures to talk to us, to give us images like that. Just like when he talks about eternal punishment and he likes to use its weeping, gnashing of teeth, where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. These are pictures. And that doesn't mean there's not a reality to it just because he used symbolic language to communicate the idea. He's trying to help us visualize something in the way that he's talking. So the book is trying to click into that side of your mind to visualize and see the picture and try to determine the reality and the meaning of of what that picture is getting at. So. That's a struggle for some of us, some of us who are very analytical and accountant mind like me, you know, and you do in poetry and stuff like that. You know, it's hard to break into those boundaries. But this book is doing that of let the picture show you what God is is trying to reveal. So I think that's a really big deal. So some translations use the word signified, put into signs. Same idea if your translation says made it known. It's the same idea because Daniel 245, it's the same Greek word in the Septuagint over over there talking about made it known through images. By the way, that gives us a very important interpretive grid. When we typically read the scriptures, we usually take everything at face value or literally unless the text demands otherwise, right? You go, if he says something, you take it at face value just as it says, unless something about it tells you, okay, must be hyperbole, must be metaphor, must be you know something to clue you in that this is not literal, but using some kind of figure of speech. And I think when you have here in this opening that these are symbols and signs that you have the book telling you to flip that over. Everything is a picture. Unless something in the text tells you otherwise. Everything is a sign. Everything is some kind of image. It's, I mean, we're going to, as soon as we get into to verse, verse 4, it's going to happen right out the gate. I mean, it's not going to take but, but a breath, and you're already going to get pictures right out of the gate. Well, is that really what Jesus looks like? No. It's already a symbol, it's already a sign. So take things as a picture that are pointing to something in particular, unless something in the text demands otherwise. So we'll, we'll follow that grid as we go through the book, because I think these first three verses 
uh, are giving us that. Okay, questions about that before we start talking about time markers again. Yeah. 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 There is absolutely something tangible to this, right? Uh, there is a blessing, verse three, to those who read this aloud and listen to it and do what it says. Which, in my notes, I wrote out to the side and said, "So, if God said you're going to be blessed by reading this book, listening to the book, and doing what it says, and yet it's a very neglected book of doing those very things." In fact, some people come along and go, ah, you know, it has no real relevance. It just, you know, it's God wins. There you go. So, so there's an intensity to the book that here God is saying, if you get into this book, it's going to bless you. So we shouldn't read the book and go, oh, you know, it's something from a long time ago and has no relevance for us and has no meaning. I mean, we would do that with none of the other 65 books of the Bible. Well, let me put that another way. We shouldn't do that with any of the other 65 books of the Bible and go, oh, well, it was a really long time ago and it was written to a bunch of people, you know, and it's totally irrelevant and all of that. And Paul, twice in the New Testament, talks about everything that was written in the past is written for us. People kind of miss that. It's like it wasn't actually written for them, but written for us, for our learning, for our encouragement, even though it was thousands of years ago. And the same thing is true uh, for this book. All right, we, we need to spend our time in the time marker this morning. That uh, is a, a very big deal. Notice two time markers in the book. We started on this last time. Uh, you have in verse one, things that must soon take place. And the end of verse three, the time is near. And I showed you in Revelation 22 Last time that he says it again at the end of the book. These things must soon take place. These things are near, happening soon. And this is the part where everybody tap dances. And so that's what we got to talk about for a minute is how to deal with those, these time markers. Because nobody deals with it in, in a very good way as far as I'm concerned. It's just uh, pretty shocking to me how often... Um, that takes place. You might remember I asked you the question, but let's do it again just for, for memory's sake. How long in time is soon not soon to you anymore? How far do you have to get in time before soon does not mean soon to you anymore? Not far. Not far. Okay, I think that's fair. Is 2,000 years soon? If I say to you, in 4,022, some of the stuff could happen. Soon take place, right? Oh, let's talk about that. Thank you for stepping into that. Perfect. Love that. Let me, let me, I love when people fall into my traps. It's very good. (laughs) That's the biggest answer that comes up. Is, well, wait a minute. God isn't affected by time, right? In fact, let's, you know, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Thousand years is like a day to God. Day is like a thousand years. And so he can say soon, and it means soon to him and not to us. So it can take eons. In fact, that's the futurist point of view. Futurist point of view says, yeah, I know it says soon, but either John was wrong and I kid you not, I have books that say John was wrong. 
John thought it was going to be soon, but it wasn't. To uh, immediately go reject. No, can, I just cannot accept the uh, inspiration of scriptures and then turn around and say John thought, but he had that wrong. But some will say John was wrong. Or they'll say to God, time is irrelevant. And so just because he says soon doesn't, doesn't mean soon. Nathan? The, um, some theologians have looked at it in a more contextual way. So, so what they've done is that they've looked at um, the, the actual translation, whether it is Kronos <laughs> or Kairos. Yes. And, and uh, so, so what do you think of that? I think it's garbage. <laughs> and this is more tap dancing. This is what I'm talking about. Everybody comes to the time markers and starts tap dancing. Well, it's a different word for time. And so let's use, and I just go, you got to be kidding me, right? right. It, it, it's one thing if you got it once, but he repeats it. Verse one must soon take place. And some people go, well, suddenly. Okay. Let's just say I give that to you. How does that work for verse three? The time is near. And then chapter 22, he ends it by saying, soon. Dan? Why would God speak about time if we couldn't put a finger on time? And we're saying, well, God, it's God's time. Yeah. Well, that doesn't, God's time doesn't mean anything to us. Right. So why is he even mentioned? <laughs> Good. Unless it is something we can relate to. Absolutely. I, I think that's a very important point. Okay, let me put it, put your, put it this way. God's not bound by time, right? Right. When is he bound by time? When he says something about time. If he says he's going to do something within a time frame, you can't turn around and go, well, he's not bound by time. He just bound himself by time, by his very words. He just said, I'm going to do something. You know, that'd be like saying to Abraham, I'm going to let, you know, bless you and have great nations and all of that. And here's Abraham going, lots of time going by. And, and then Abraham dies and God goes, yeah, but it's my time, my time anyway. I'm not bound by time. Yes, you are. You told Abraham in his lifetime. So you were bound by time. now. When you say time, sure, in his grand scheme of eternity, nothing affects him by time, but he is bound by it. If he says, I'm going to do something in your generation. How many times is Jesus going around saying stuff like that? And then can he, come, can he eject out of that and go, well, you know me, I'm God. I'm not bound by time. Well, then what are you saying? <laughs> what are you even saying? Which goes back to the point I made two weeks ago. Does God know how to communicate to his people? We're almost acting like he can't. Well, you know, to him, a thousand years is a day. So, you know, he can just be totally confusing by time. And we here we sit here and go, uh, which let me put one more thing. I'll get to all your hands. Is the reason that Peter wrote in second Peter three, nine, that a day like to the Lord's a thousand years, a thousand years a day, so that we would go through all the Bible, find all the time markers and completely erase them and throw them in the air and say, yeah, but he's not bound by time. No. Remember, the whole point of that was here we are waiting for his return and it seems so long. And Peter's saying, it ain't long to God. That didn't mean, so when God starts talking about time, it's invalid. 
Because to him, it's only been a day, even though he's had a thousand years. That's not what he means by that. That's not what he's a- a- attempting with that. Evan. As adults, we understand time differently than children. So if in two weeks, we're going to go to Disney World. Right. In my mind, I say we're coming to Disney World soon. Right. I don't tell a two-year-old or a three-year-old <laughs> that's we're right. going to Disney World soon because he won't understand what three weeks or two weeks mean. That's right. He's like, right now, right, right now, right? <laughs> Same idea. Can God communicate to his people? We as parents understand how to do that to our children in in the use of time. I don't tell them soon if that's not their grasp of understanding of time. I think it's a really bad idea to put on God this idea. Well, you know, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is is like a day and all of that. Charlotte. Yes. All, all the time. Think about all the prophecies where God uses time. He, he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel too and using time markers. God doesn't come along and go, well, <laughs> I, sorry to have confused you about that. I, I know that I, I, I said it. <laughs> But, you know, it's, like, it's only been a day to me. I know it's been a thousand years to you, but it's only been a day to me. That's not how God ever operates. The only reason anybody ever does that to the book of Revelation is because they have an interpretation that doesn't have an answer to that problem of the time is near. That's the only reason you would do that. Your interpretation is broken. If you have no way to explain how these things must soon take place and the time is near. And so rather than changing interpretive positions, what they do is change what John says. Uh, okay, Debbie the Muriel. Debbie, go. This, this is probably simplistic, but actually your dad preached on this last week. He did. Sure. So we have to be ready for it to happen. And that, to me, is soon. And and that's one answer that that people often give to this is they'll say, well, he was just trying to always get the people ready. But again, that doesn't solve the time is near. It still doesn't reconcile to say, well, everybody needs to be ready because it could happen at any time. But God said these things must shortly take place or soon take place and and the time is near. So I do think there's an intensity of readiness that's intended, but I think there's a reasoning behind it is the book will not allow you to get away from its time markers because you get to the end of the book and he says it again. It's almost as if he says, I want you to make sure that you've got these these time markers in mind, Muriel. Okay. Uh, one thing let me throw in here real quick. Here, I, I told you I've got my Tim LaHaye commentary on Revelation because it, you notice it looks like the Left Behind series. They made it the same size and pretty and all of that. I'm like, well, I've got to get myself one of these. Standard futurist point of view. This is the mainstream answer for um, evangelical world typically about what this stuff looks like. So here's the big answer from Tim LaHaye. I hope you're ready for this. you got your pens ready. On how to deal with must soon take place, time is near. 
Further on in the verse, we find that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ to show his servants what must soon take place. Again, we see that the emphasis of the book is on future events. And he moves on. You didn't answer it, did you? (laughs) See, because he said soon take place, we must be talking about the future. Sure. But soon, his interpretation is all of the book has not been fulfilled yet. That's the mainstream view. And his answer is, we'll see that shows it has to be in the future. I think you neglected a few words in there. <laughs> I was like, talk about uh, keeping the Passover. You just went right over the terms there and didn't even talk about it. I, I think the mistake most people make is reading the book, coming up with an interpretation of what they think all the things, and then interpreting from that what, what trying to explain away the mirror and all that stuff. Yeah. Because reading it from the very beginning, he warns you these things are going to be in the near future, yeah. and then read, try to understand it with that view. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So people really want it to be something that's going to happen in the future at the end of time yeah. and explain why how, how that can be. Yes. And, and thankfully, there are some scholars who are honest. And I'm grateful that that pendulum is moving back and it pushes directly against what these guys write. Grant Osborne, Baker Exegetical Commentary. The prophecies are da- of Daniel are seen throughout the book as coming to final fulfillment and then. Uh, Tremper Longman adds to that. In other words, what was in the distant future to Daniel now has a sense of immediacy to it. Yes, that's the idea. There is something that is now on the precipice of happening, and it has to work in that time marker that's being given. George? Did we talk about when? Uh, it, it will not matter, but it will kind of matter. But I'll get there. I'm, I, I put forward this two weeks ago. If you start with a date in your mind, you are going to hammer every square peg into that round hole to make it work. And I don't want you to do that. We don't do that with any of the other books of the Bible. We never start with a date in our head and then start reading the book. We always read it. And then we go, oh, based on the internal evidence of what we're seeing, clearly this was an early or a later book. That's why I use like Second Timothy. How do we know that was probably his final book? Well, because he says in it, I've run the race. I've <laughs> kept the pace. He's signing off in that thing. Nobody reads that and go, yeah, I think that might have been 40 AD. There's no way. Uh, same thing here. I want you to take the book at face value Take the image and the symbol in its most straightforward meaning as if you were standing there in the first century and you tell me what it says, what it would mean to you. That's going to be our approach. Going to be really simple, really straightforward. What would that have meant to them when they would have heard those? That then at the end is going to set the date. Mike? Well, and I, I think that's a lot of things. Just like I will argue that we mess up the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit because we don't read about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We just dive bomb into Acts and act like that's the first time it was ever talked about. Same thing in the book of Revelation. 
Come to the book of Revelation and act like nothing about this has ever been spoken about before. Just dive bomb into it. Here we go. Like, you need to know Daniel. You need to know Ezekiel. You need to know Zechariah. By the way, side point. So we recently did Daniel and Zechariah. We're in the middle of Ezekiel. Hmm. <laughs> we are prepped for this and trying to be ready for it. But you have to have those connections. But it is interesting that so many scholars do make the connection to Daniel. Uh, and it's, it's kind of surprising to me how often the explanations of Daniel are not carried forward uh, because the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel have to work together. Uh, they just have to work together. You're going to see the same images. You're going to see the same beasts. You're going to see the same angels. You're going to see them doing the exact same activities. It is going to be undeniable to you that you are witnessing the same events, the same people doing the same things, trying to connect you to it. And that's going to be a very big deal uh, as we study the book. So let me back up one more time to my question because we didn't answer it. We went all over the place. Let me come back. How long is it no longer soon? At what point would you go, you know what? That's just not soon anymore. Just a general ballpark. You said 2,000 years doesn't work for you, right? How about, can I give, what about 400 or 300 years? Would three or 400 years be soon to you? Not me either. And I take, this is where I will take umbrage with even my own brethren. Because a lot of common interpretations is that this book is about things that would happen 300 years later. And I go, that's soon? Question mark. <laughs> Not soon to me. If I were to ask you, okay, I'm going to tell you things that are going to happen in 2,520, soon going to take place. You go, that ain't soon. That ain't soon at all, Janet. I think that's your maximum. I think your most generous window of soon would be your lifetime. I think that's being really generous, though. I mean, if somebody told me 50 years from now, I'm not sure I'm, I'm game on soon. <laughs> Even 40 years from now, I'm not sure that I'm game on soon. Soon? Uh, okay. <laughs> so I think that's your maximum. I think within your lifetime is your maximum. But just let's just kind of pull the audience. How... Soon before it's not soon. Did you have a soon before not soon, Matt? I did again. Take it a little bit more on it. Like yeah. Also, soon falls into our context. It does. What are we talking about here? What exactly, sure. you know, we're going to be yeah. buying a house soon. All right. right. Soon sure. Years, yeah. Years, yeah. You know, or I'm going to buy right. a new car. Well, and here God knows how to talk like that too. Because think about when we're in the book of Ezekiel and the people in exile think, we're going to go back to Jerusalem soon. And what does God say? No, you're not. <laughs> 70 years. That's not soon. So he understands our framework about stuff. He, he, he says stuff like that to us. Like they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to well, be a while. You need to just settle in for a time. It's going to be a minute before we get back there, Charlotte. Okay, hold that. I didn't get my other answer. Read it. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Soon. How long is soon? 
don't get along. Dan, you got to sue. Let me ask you this. How long, when was Dan, how long has it been since Dan all right, so with Daniel, we're in the ballpark of five to six hundred years. So he didn't tell Daniel to be soon. Nope, he said it's going to be a while. Correct. So there's another blow to the 400 idea is if he tells Daniel, seal it up because it's going to be a while, and it's going to be around 539 plus. 60. So you're talking about 580 years to 600 years. And he said, that's not soon. That's going to be a while. Go your way. Now he says, now he says soon. Right. So I think hundreds of years are off the, off the table, Julian. Well, he's talking about buying a house, but soon to be about five years. So okay. when you said that, I thought about going on vacation. Yeah. It would be like a couple months. Okay. Yeah, okay, that's a good way to think about it. If I said, we're going to go on a vacation soon, 10 years from now. <laughs> All the kids are like, <laughs> in fact, the kids would say, you don't know what soon means, right? You're, you're a liar. Can, can God lie? All right, all right, fine. For, yeah, there forty years didn't feel soon out out there, did it, Evan? <laughs> if I have a meeting and I need information for that meeting, you don't tell me six months ahead that I'm going to need this information. You tell me we have a meeting soon, because in six months I will have completely forgotten. It's on my calendar that I even had the meeting, much less what I'm supposed to remember. So for them to be for this information to be useful. We shouldn't be seeing it as some dusty document they're going to have to go dig out of an archive and blow off okay. to remember. They're Good. going to need that. Good. Immediacy. Absolutely. What I'm hoping you're getting a sense of is if the book is all about the end of the world, these markers don't work. They just don't work. I'll also point out this. If the book is only about the fall of the Roman Empire, which is in the 400s, and here we are in the first century, that's not soon either. That has a problem too. That's just as far and ridiculous to us. 300 years is not soon. 200 years is not soon. 150 years is not soon. I don't care if you want to say, well, maybe the book was written in the second century. It still doesn't give you the soon. It's not that the time is near. Like Evan pointed out, I mean, you'd be like, soon, we'll just throw it in the archives. We'll, we'll pull it out for my great, 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 great grandchildren. They'll, they'll, they'll be affected by that. He's telling something to them. And please note the immediacy. When you're in Revelation 6, you have saints under the altar crying out what? How long till vengeance? And the answer can't be, well, in a few thousand years. Or in 400 years, where's the hope in that? Where's the comfort? Where's the rest? Where's the, okay, good, we're looking forward to it. It's, well, you know, way on down there one day. Soon has to mean soon. Near has to mean near, Stan. Um, by implication, <clears throat> by implication, the future is to actually separate the book into two parts. One is chapter 22, 3, which is to the seven churches. Yeah. And then the seven churches are totally forgotten from yeah. 1421. Yeah. And so soon has to be relevant 
Exactly. Absolutely. And unfortunately, that's the typical futuristic breakdown just immediately gets rid of that and goes, okay, uh, chapters one through three is in the present and then everything else is way out there in the future. And it just doesn't work for the book. So I want this to kind of be a, a, a pebble in your shoe as we go through the book is whatever we're doing needs to somehow work with soon. And I want you to kind of work through that. How is the time near? How is this soon? How is the book holding that idea? Now, remember, I threw some things out to you about some question marks about that. Because things at the end of the book. So you've got issues. Okay, so you're going to have to work through that. It'll be a long, long time until we're way out there. So, but I want you to be thinking about that. How are we going to travel this book? And get out to things like in Revelation 20, 21, and 22 that still can operate within the time frame of the time is near, things must soon take place. Okay? So that, that's, this is gonna be, that's your long frame homework of working out this book, Charlotte. Oh, John said the kingdom is at hand. Yeah. That was three years. Yeah. He said, yeah, the kingdom is at hand. Time is near on that. The kingdom is near. And of course, he meant hundreds of years, right? No. Yeah, it, oh, no, it was. Here it is. There was a sense of immediacy. And I want to emphasize when God puts things into time, he knows how to talk to us and he doesn't lie. Okay. So if he says something soon, it's soon. If he says something's long, it's long. If he says something's going to need to wait, then you got to wait. I mean, he knows how to talk to us. He made us. He, he's got it. it. It's not that he's confused by eternity and then confused by how our system of time works. Okay. Uh, let me just scan my notes to make sure I've spoken all of my time things. Uh, da, 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 da. All right. So I think I have. So any questions about the time markers then? Yes. Sometimes it is as simple as that. It really is. Any other questions about time? You feel okay with what I'm doing to you? <laughs> I, I'm just letting those first three verses zero in because he, he said it twice. Almost as if, you know, before we even get any, into anything, time is near. Soon take place. All right. There's a sense of immediacy to this. It has to happen. All right. One other thing to, to observe <clears throat> Is in verse 3, what kind of book is this? Prophecy. So that'll help a little bit with the question that uh, Charlotte brought up and the question that George brought up. Is as John writes about things, does he have to be talking about things that are presently happening? There's, there is future to this. Now remember, the definition of prophecy does not mean foretelling the future. That's, that's not the equation. That's, 
What does it mean to be a prophet? What is the prophet doing? Okay, teaching, but more than that, he's speaking the very words of God. That's what makes prophecy. Prophecy is not necessarily future telling. Prophecy is, I have the very words of God on my lips, and I am speaking to you the very words of God. That's what makes one a prophet. That's what prophecy is. But we understand as well is that when you read the prophets, they would often talk about things that are going to happen. They are speaking about present conditions, but future events, things that are going to take place to them. So sometimes people can get really befuddled with the book about time markers and things like that because they'll say, yeah, but when John's writing, these things aren't happening yet. Well, is that okay? Sure. Can he be talking about things that are going to happen soon? Sure. He just said he is, right? So don't get blown out because scholars will like to come in and go, well, yeah, but we don't see the churches doing X, Y, and Z and A, B, and C and all these kinds of things. And it wasn't that condition yet. And, you know, a lot of the arguments revolve around persecution. And uh, I will tell you, I, I put all this in your early notes, but, but the, the quick answer of, about trying to date the book by persecution is it's going to be an ultimate fail. Neither Nero nor Domitian had empire-wide Christian persecution. Neither. A lot of that has been self-inflated and created to try to force the book to be a late date because we have to have Domitian persecuting the world. Domitian is a persecutor. Nero is a fierce persecutor. But neither, we have zero evidence of them being empire-wide. Zero. But I would also point out this. Let's say Domitian was an empire-wide persecutor. That doesn't help dating the book any, because he could be talking about what's going to happen. <laughs> it doesn't move your dating any, anywhere. It is of zero help to you, whether it is in the present or in the future. Doesn't move the needle on when was this thing written. So we're going to have to allow the book itself to tell us when this sounds like it was being talked about or when it was being written before we can get anywhere with it. But I am going to signal to you uh, uh, that it really doesn't matter a whole lot because so much of what he's talking about is not only what the Christians are presently experiencing, but also experiencing in the future. There's a lot going on in both. And you can argue all over the first century time markers of, of when that might be. I, I, if I, since I've got one minute left, I'll, I'll remind you of, of one of them in here. I put in there on, on page three, number two. Confusion has always existed in the dating of the book. Early Christians gave four differing dates for the book of Revelation. The reign of Claudius, which was 41 to 54. The reign of Nero from 54 to 68. The reign of Domitian from 81 to 96. And the reign of Trajan from 98 to 117. That's number two on page three. It's always been an argument. Short answer. No one knows. <laughs> There's no great external evidence to help you to run to and go, this seals the deal. As soon as you find one, there are all these scholars that go, no, that's not it. And it, it drove me crazy in my studies of the book of Revelation. I went so deep trying to find, all right, somebody seal the deal. And you really don't. You have one guy making an observation that scholars are like, yeah, we don't think that's what he was saying. So it, it's unknown. So I want to give you this. The date, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about the date. Let the book tell you the date as we go through it. 
And you just go with that. Because otherwise, if you start with a preconceived idea, you are going to cram interpretations into this book. That's how you get what he did. Again, we see the emphasis of the book is on future events. Well, why would you say that? Except that line doesn't work to your interpretation. We don't want to be that. We don't want to start with a conclusion and then jam the word of God into that conclusion. We're going to let the word of God speak and then draw our conclusion from what it says. That's my really complicated way of studying this book. So, you know, there you go. Yeah, Charlie. If it was an early date, say in the 50s, that John wrote Revelation, then 1 John would have asked to come after. Sure. Sure. Would have mean probably all of his books came after that. Or, or maybe Book of Revelation came after all of those. Because yeah, <laughs> here's the here's here. Well, well, here's the well, here's the crack it. We don't know when the Gospel of John was written either, so that's not going to help you. <laughs> that's the funny thing is like we act like we've just got all of these obvious, and it's like you know John did not start the Gospel of John going, and it was ninety A.D. No, I mean there's still argument over which Gospel was written first. And the only reason people think Mark is because it's the shortest. That's a really shallow way of, of dealing with dating books. Well, because it's the shortest, that must mean it was the first one and everybody else elaborated on it. Or maybe it was written to a different audience and it had a whole different intention. And maybe that's why it's shorter. I can give you a whole lot of reasons why it's shorter. But we construct these false narratives jam our theology into and go, see, I got it figured out. So I'm just trying to just wipe all that out and as best you can, if at all possible, which I know is impossible to erase all bias, biases and erase all preconceived notions, but do everything you can to flush them out your ear and start fresh with the book and just let it talk to you, okay? All right, 14 minute break. We'll start in verse four. I'm done with the first three verses. We'll start in verse four for next week. 14 minute break, reconvene at 1030. Thanks everybody, really appreciate it.